Welcome to another edition of Record Roundtable, where we cover a band, cover singers, cover activists, and this week we're talking about Rage Against the Machine. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with Jared. This is Tyler. And once again, we are talking this week about Rage Against the Machine. How do we feel about Rage Against the Machine this week? And I will start this week with Jared. Go! I like them. Uh, I have liked them for a long time. This week was pretty good. Uh, I like the albums. There's a little bit of uh, overlap in stylings and not a lot of uh, uh, change in the sound of the music. I think that's one of the biggest criticisms I saw of Rage Against the Machine from most people is just that, like, um, very quickly, because really that we're, we're primarily focusing on their three albums. You know, there's other things to talk about, of course, but the three albums that were released from them from 92 to 99, is that right? That sounds right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, those three albums are really the the bulk, the girth of their actual discography. Um, outside of, of course, a cover album and then anything that comes in between. Um, and so the the first album is very highly praised, and then the other two start to dip in other people's perspective because of uh, how similar it is to their sound across the board. To their sound across the board. Tyler, what did you feel about Raging the Machine? Uh, I feel lots of things. I like Rage Against the Machine. I've been listening to them since I was a young young lad. And uh, they make me angry. I could see that. In a good way. I think that's kind of their whole gimmick, is making people angry in a good way. Now, yeah. they, now well, they might make you angry in a bad way. Maybe. Lots of energy. You know what I mean? Yes. There's a, a great deal of energy from Rage Against the Machine. I think it's, uh, and not even just in particular, like our age demographic, but just kind of broadly speaking, I think a lot of people have spent a lot of time with Rage Against the Machine. I think that they are a group that a lot of, um, a lot of younger audience still latches onto well, but a lot of an older audience still has a lot of respect for. So I think that they're pretty universally enjoyed musically. And I think that one of the most compelling things about them is how many people just totally miss the mark in terms of the political ideologies that they speak of. Because, like, the fact that they are so universally praised speaks to the fact that nobody is really listening to what they're talking about outside of, uh, to get early to it, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. You know, like, that's as far as we got, like, messaging-wise for the most part. Yeah, I think it's also a group where people mostly know like if you ask most people they only know the couple big songs yeah i think you're right and then outside of that they're kind of like oh i don't know but i think it's all worth it man like i i can determine differences between each album Mm -hmm. and you know the this the overall sound is the same sure but there's little changes album to album for the first three and then things tend to steady out just a little bit even when you get into like 
prophets of rage sounds of you know it's just kind of a rehashing right but the the sound to begin with is really good i think it's i i mean it's interesting it's super bass driven in the uh rhythm section so like right. bass holds up everything tom Morello's is just like what kind of noises can we make in out of this thing right and he's just like experimenting with the guitar which is just awesome and it sounds cool and it mimics like some of the sounds that you would expect in a hip hop style music, but it's way harder, you know, and choruses come in with just like force, just like full blast all out, you know, like the tone, the guitar tone is, is loud and in your face and it's, it's just dirty and gritty and everyone's coming in on a chorus full bore. So that's cool. And then I think Zach De La Rocha is just a kind of really interesting uh, vocalist in terms of his style and what he brings. So, all in all, like, I don't know. They're just, I'm, I don't, I'm not super concerned that they have a style that they carry out through over the course of three albums because I think it's really interesting. And it's super heavily based on like really energetic rhythm sections and just really like sonically weird and interesting guitar work. Plus, you know, the worthwhile ly- lyrical bit that De La Rocha brings in. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not con- concerned. Some people are clearly are concerned with regards to the similarity between albums and like the continuation of their sound, I have no real concern. Yeah. I don't really either. It's kind of odd to me that even the idea that you would get to evil empire, which is only, you know, a few years later from, you know, it's not quite four years since their debut album. We're years separated from their debut. And if there was any kind of similarity to it, it's like, we literally have only heard this once. Why are you so upset? Like right. that first album was so well received. You'd think that people would be kind of excited that they would get more of it. Um, the thing that's kind of odd to me too, is that like their sound is so um, singular in so many ways. I mean, they're obviously doing things that, you know, other groups will do later or have done at least in some kind of capacity, but like the blending of funk and metal and rock and hardcore punk and hip hop, like who, who else was really doing that? So like, what did you want them to do next? Like, what would you have, what would you have asked them to change? Beastie boys were doing it, bro. Well, that's why, that's why I mean like some like capacity. They didn't really have like the metal element to it. Yeah. They were kind of punk. The only other people that were kind of close in that regard and in the same area would have been red hot chili peppers, whose early work was in the eighties. Yeah. You know, and I'm talking early. So those of you out there, early Red Hot Chili Peppers, not Stadium Arcadium and on. Yeah, let's be real. We're not talking about snow. Heyo, today. I'm, I mean, even by the time they reach Californication, it's not quite. It's not even in the same world anymore. But it definitely goes more of a radio direction. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah. I I agree with you. Like it's the, there's a certain novelty in the sound and style, and like and there's a certain level of like feeling and energy that it pushes outwards that I don't. Like Beastie Boys, I don't think ha- when I hear Beastie Boys, it d- it doesn't like do what Rage does. You know what I mean? Yeah, it no, doesn't make you angry. Like, no, it's just it doesn't make like, you be like, like, oh, I guess this is kind of fun. You know, like that's really as far as I go with like Beastie Boys. Like I could see how this would be fun for people. Yeah, it's just it, like the novelty of it. I don't know why people. I also think that there's like there's a difference. I think that Rage their debut is kind of raw 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not, it seems not even just like as loud or like it produced. Maybe it's, maybe it's like not produced in a way that's quite as heavy. Like I think evil empire, sometimes it's a heavier album. I find it to be a really more riff heavy album. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really like evil empire. In fact, it's the first rage on my own on vinyl mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a sweet album. I really like, there's so many moments in that thing where I'm just like, dang, this is just like super in your face, just like driving riff heavy stuff that's just not quite the same as on the debut and i think that the battle of los angeles is also quite different because i think that that album is where they start to go a little bit more hook heavy like i think that there there definitely are some hooks on both the debut and evil empire but battle of los angeles is just chock full of them testify gorilla radio sleep now on the fire are all three songs not that those are the only ones but those are all three songs that are singles that are very hook heavy. And so like they take on a little bit more of a catchy, um, not even like, I I guess maybe palatable, but like still uh, pressing kind of way of approaching their music where like maybe they just knew that people were still going to keep listening to them uh, so they could keep getting the message out. Cause really again, and we'll get into it. Like uh, the message I think is kind of the primary focus of raging this machine across the board and not just um, the musical kind of experimentation that they do. Uh, but I think that, you know, once they realized that they were getting a little bit more um, radio play and like uh, enough um, respect that people would continue to really enjoy them, that they just made songs that were catchy and fun, but still had like the same kind of like heft to it. I agree. I also think that the guitar work changes a little bit on Battle of Los Angeles. I think there's like, first off, there's more like over, guitar overdub stuff going on. And I think that like the little bit of, I think it just becomes more uh, fragile in the guitar area. It's less heavy and more like kind of um, lead heavy, lead guitar heavy. Mm-hmm. So it's, I don't know. It's pretty, I just think there's, I can see changes throughout the course of the albums, and I think it ends when it needs to end yeah. as well. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's difficult. Yeah, let's uh, let's kind of back up a little bit, just because you know, obviously, it's good to to start with the music, but let's back up a little bit to who who are Rage Against the Machine because they've got they've got a lot of uh, compelling stuff going on with the members and their history. Um, you know, what they did before. So I think there's like quite a bit to dig into here. Um, obviously, the two primary members are Tom Morello and Zach De La Roca, who, um, you know, vocalist and guitarist. Uh, you know, I don't think people really think a whole lot about either Wilk or Comerford, which is kind of odd because, like, for the most part, things that Morello was doing, they were doing as well, like post. Rage Against the yeah, Machine. Yeah, they were both right. in um, Audio Slave mm-hmm. yep. with uh, Chris Cornell as the lead singer. Right. And then they both were in Province of Rage, mm-hmm. which is the super group that features Chuck D from Public Enemy. And uh, I don't know the guy's name, but he is in uh, the Insane and the Membrane group, right? Yeah, hold on. House of Pain? No, that's not House of Pain. It's uh, the guy from Cypress Hill. Cypress yeah. Hill. Yeah, that's Insane. Be Real. DJ Lord? DJ Lord. DJ Lord and Chuck D. And then Be Real. And then Be Real from Cypress Hill. Yeah. Be Real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. 
Yeah. I mean, because like they, the only thing that I saw that Morello had kind of done alone was his solo work, which was the Night Watchman. Is that right? That sounds correct. Yes. I think that's what his uh, his solo work. He's also was toured with various people. I right. have seen Tom Morello twice. Have you? I have nice. seen him uh, when uh, I saw Prophets of Rage mm-hmm. a few years ago. It was uh, them. I think uh, AWOL Nation were there and somebody else. I can't remember who the other one was. Interesting. Uh, but the other time I saw Tom Morello is when I saw Bruce Springsteen. And Tom Morello was touring with Bruce as his guitarist. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing yep. that that was a thing. I thought that so, was kind of odd. I have seen Tom Morello twice, none of the times in, in any association with Rage. That's funny. So it's kind of funny, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think that Morello and uh, Zach are probably mostly viewed as the, um, the heads of the group. Not just because... Obviously, Zach is the most primary focus of the group because it is so lyrically based and his vocals are so notable. Uh, there's not really a lot of people who did kind of similar vocal styles at that time as what he was doing. Uh, and, but of course, obviously, uh, Morello is considered like one of the most, uh, I, I don't know if I would say influential because I don't know a lot of people did the same kind of effect style, but he's certainly one of the best guitarists of all time. So of course yeah. he's going to be held to a higher standard than perhaps some of the rhythm section. He's pretty cool. But I think the other part of it is that made it. So they were kind of the, the front runners is because of, again, the political uh, views that they, um, you know, put into their music. And both of them are obviously very heavily, focused on those very involved with them a lot of activism throughout their careers both of them are like hyper intelligent and involved Mm -hmm. not in like because when you think about i guess um not even just rage against the machine but most um even like hardcore punk or whatever goes in more of like the um the revolutionary kind of radical viewpoints it's usually directed uh at u.s government like issues because most of the groups that we are aware of are Western groups who are looking at Western issues right. where, where rage against the machine are not as um, tight focused. They will talk about things that are going on. I mean, obviously they talk about things from the U S but they'll span out a little bit more. Like obviously Zach De La Roca is uh, involved in like the Mexican culture and what's going on with the Mexican Revolution, because he had family that was involved in the Mexican Revolution, similar to how Tom Morello has family that was involved in uh, a lot of the political movement that was pro-democracy within Kenya. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, both of them have family that bring a lot of that activism mindset into the music that they have. So I think that's also a big part of why they're viewed so front and center. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's the they also speak on just ide- general political ideas mm-hmm. as well. So it's not only about things that are totally relevant here, but it's a, something that can be relevant elsewhere just because it's a general political idea. I mean, Morello is also you'll see in a lot of the design elements of Prophets of Rage and his specific design, like design elements of Tom Morello's choices you know he he they wear the things he wears and the 
Like he uses a red star in Prophets of Rage, which is long known to be like the people's party, the workers' party. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he is a person who promotes a certain political ideology that is not singular to the West. Mm-hmm. Well, even like, because I, did you guys look into and see what the picture was of their debut album? Yes. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, that's a, a perfect example of them using imagery from other movements that are obviously not involved with, like, Western politics or Western issues in any way, shape, or form. Right. Because the picture is of a, um, a, a, a monk from uh, the Vietnamese government who had set himself on fire in uh, protest against the government killing Buddhists and oppressing them across the board. And this is from, like, 63. So this yeah, is... Very- know, Go ahead. It's a popular image. It was a popular image prior to that. Right. It's very striking. It's quite stri- yeah. the idea that that is a real photo and not just like a uh, an art piece, you know. Um, but you know, yeah. I mean, they definitely have uh, concepts that aren't just um, you know this political issue. Like I'm being critical of Ronald Reagan. Like there's also points in their like I know that one that stood out from their debut album was that they just overall covered the fact that a lot of the education system is very uh, Eurocentric and that it is very um, politically centered on, um, I guess, the the good versus evil vision of, um, you know, Western politics uh, as opposed to any other nation that they might be involved in. Similar to how Evil Empire, the, the title of that album comes from a uh, Ronald Reagan, no, was it Nixon? Nixon or Reagan? Reagan. Um, during the Cold War, and uh, in retaliation to um, um, the the Soviet. the Soviet government, and them saying, you know, this is a battle of good versus evil, and using that as kind of a means to uh, increase the nuclear arsenal. So, you know, they're they're not just looking at just the idea of like. Um, again, U.S. government issues, but also just a broad concept of, like, Eurocentricism. Also, is this where we should tell people that this is when we're going to start having uh, uh, gay boy conversations? Or what was the... What was I the guess t- we should. Should have, we should have, should have let them know that. early that we were going to do this. <laughs> there was no way well, around we it. Big mistake. We sure, we sure, we sure didn't. <sighs> Sorry, Smith fans. We're back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I promise no Morrissey on this one, though. Thank goodness. Can't you just talk about rage without talking about the politics? No, <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> can't you you certainly talk, cannot. Talk about the audible sound you hear, and uh, uh, you know the lyrics could be up for interpretation of what he's talking about. No, it could be like no. a, a dystopian future, like Rush. <laughs> That's what it, it's a Rush thing. It's a Rush thing. He, I mean, he literally directly quoted. Um, J. Edgar Hoover at one point in a song. Oh my! Like so, it's, it's hard to miss the the mark on that one. I'd there say there was a single uh, from the uh, what album? Battle of Los Angeles mm-hmm. that was not put on the album, uh, and it was called No Shelter, and it was released on the Godzilla soundtrack in 1998. We and, love that soundtrack. And uh, here's a lyric in the song: Godzilla, pure motherfucking filler to get your eyes off the real killer. So the song is about 
So he's being critical of the idea of the song, Godzilla directing away. The song from is about how mass media distracts the public from more important issues in the world and manipulates people's minds. So in the song, yeah, he has a call, a shot at Godzilla, uh, the monster, and it's in the soundtrack for the film. I'm looking forward to that beef. You know, oh. the, them doing, uh, you know, verses against each other. Godzilla's going to have to do a diss track back, is all I'm saying. Yes. I'm looking forward to that one. With P. Diddy and uh, Green Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the whole crew back in. Yeah. No, I I mean, that's the... So, I think most recently, uh, we saw kind of how, you know, like you said, like, people... You know, saying like, well, how, how can we miss the politics? People like, uh, I saw there was somebody who tweeted something at Morello and was like, when I realized what you were talking about, I stopped liking you. And he was like, oh my God. what do you mean? You like, yeah, you I just realized yeah. what we were talking about? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Do you see uh, uh, the most recent election cycle? Somebody, I cannot remember exactly who it is. And I'm sure you guys will remember was using the Rage songs uh, during like rallies or whatever. Yeah. And Rage was like, please stop playing my our music there. Like, we yeah. do not support your politics in any yeah. way. Do not play our songs. I love the idea that you would play Killing in the Name, like, yeah. as like a, um, like during that period as a, a, a right wing. Um, oh, like, yeah. The, like, the radical end of the right wing. You know, I'm not saying that all, all conservatives are bad or anything. Let me be clear. Um, but like that, that end of people using that song, which is very clearly against the police, mm. which they are obviously in large support for. That's true. Uh, you know, when they say "fuck you," I won't do what you tell me. They're talking about them, not right. someone else. Like you, I guess you could apply it uh, kind of loosely in a different direction. But it seems like maybe you're taking the context, taking it out of context just a little bit. What do you guys think? That, Go ahead. To think that anyone would just be so confused is just beyond me. Like, do you think it has to feel disappointing when someone like tweets at you that they now they just found out and they're not going to listen to you and you're just like, why, why, why is my art and music so not understood? I think when it's so blatant. I think that that was part of the reason that they broke up. Honestly. Like when I was looking into it, it was it was a couple different elements. One of them, which I think would be very fun to talk about at some point, is that they kind of influenced new metal being a thing, <sighs> and I don't think that they were uh, super thrilled with that. Don't yeah. think they were super big on that new metal movement that came out from them. Uh, but I think that one of the other biggest criticism of Rage Against the Machine, which I'd love to hear what you guys think about, is the fact that they were on a major label. And they were making millions of dollars from their music. And they were, you know, like, um, you know, they kind of, they went mainstream, you know? So, like, someone would argue that they sold out. Um, and right. I think that that bothered, because, uh, you know, the end of the group was um, Zach leaving because, uh, a direct quote, he said, uh, I feel that it is now necessary to leave Rage because our decision-making process has completely failed. It is no longer meeting the aspirations of all four of us collectively as a band and, from my perspective, has undermined our artistic and political ideal. So, obviously, he took that a bit to heart. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what they set out to do to begin with, so... Do you think that those criticisms are fair? 
his, his criticisms of the group? Uh, more the criticism against them in general. Like they're, I guess the the way that they ended up becoming so big. I don't think they ever like stopped doing what they were going to be doing, which is you know, um, ad you know, advocating for the the things that they had been talking about. There were points where De La Roca was like, uh, he actually spoke at like um government hearings for like um I think it was for a Black Panther member that they were trying to um get uh, justice for. So you know he they continue to be in, involved in activism. And they continue to say the same kind of messages in their songs. But I guess kind of uh, under the surface, there's that issue of how they're doing it and how they're getting the music out. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's all about what you do. I mean, so I mean, you they had to have made a choice to get on a label. Of course, at that time, you know, yeah. you didn't have the same small labels that you could go through. Like it's a lot more difficult. And I think it kind of depends on what you do what you do with it. I mean, if you look at a larger label and I, I mean you don't sell out until until you take money and compromise. Like you know what I'm saying? When sure. you compromise your art and your expression and your ideals and what you do, that's when you've sold out. It's not about the money necessarily. Sure. Because they for all you know, if you have a message to send then being on a big label, that's a, and even like, especially if they're for some reason, like allowing you to just continue to do it is not an it. Like that's more people who are going to get the message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That There's was, value. that was directly what Morello said at one point. He said, we're not interested in preaching to just the converted. It's great to play abandoned squats run by anarchists, but it's also great to be able to reach people with a revolutionary message. Right. Like, you know, and, that was kind of another one of the ideas. Obviously, again, like we said, a lot of people missed the mark, but I think that a lot of people didn't. I think that some of the things that they were talking about in their music in the early to mid 90s were things that people would have never thought about or looked into had it not been for them exposing them to them. And I'm sure that there are people who were, you know, I, I'm sure that they were uh, people out there were afraid of it. I'm sure they radicalized a lot of people in, in that yeah. kind of direction with their music. I'm sure that that I mean, as a uh, when I was young and listened to them, it certainly had its own, an impact to an extent on me. You know, there's no denying that there was some type of an impact of like, especially just the idea of questioning things, which is really what it's all about to an extent, right? Is like maybe you should be questioning what well, maybe you should be questioning what is being told you mm -hmm. because here's a narrative that you don't know that runs contradictory to what you are being told. I also think that with the with the larger label and like the the sellout argument, you know, they're making you make these you make more money, of course. So you're, you're making more money, which is mm. not the not the goal, I suppose. Sure. Not what you set out to do, but it doesn't mean like it's about what you do with it. And I don't, I haven't, I didn't look into that, so I don't know if you have like an awareness. But you know, if you take that money and do something with it. Mm -hmm. you know give back or donate or set or do something then it's like what is it I, I just don't think that there's an issue with it when it when it's about getting a message as far as you can and then if you use the what you make from it outside of what you need like outside of your means mm -hmm. to try to make continue to make change elsewhere as well like i don't think there's a problem in that and i don't consider that to be selling out by any means especially if you haven't compromised the integrity of your of your expression Sure. I think that the if there was any argument uh, 
that at some point they may have sold out. And, I, you know, I'm not saying that I agree or disagree with this. I would say probably that criticism should be thrown at Audio Slave, probably, because you have three of the four members who then started doing music with Chris Cornell that was, like, very apolitical. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with them making music that's apolitical, but if you were somebody trying to argue that, like, oh, yeah, they're just looking to get money now and, you know, they're abandoning their views and blah, 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 that would be where you'd probably Yeah, but if they don't write from. the lyrics, they just are working with Chris Cornell, and he's never really been that like political necessarily right you can be a good like songwriter and not have to talk about politics though. oh i know that's what i'm saying is that like if you were because i that's mean that's same, like same thing with morello like he doesn't really write the lyrics i don't think he just kind of does the uh the guitar. the wah wahs <laughs> too many wah wahs um no i don't i think that there was more involvement lyrically than just de la roca i i don't know that for sure um but in, I'm not again. I'm not saying that you can't. I'm not saying that you can't still do a political music. I, that's not by any means what I'm saying. What I'm saying is those who were arguing that Rage Against the Machine were making a platform for themselves and making money by using that platform. It would make more sense to say those guys who are using a platform to make messages about you know the ills of society are now just making like radio rock music. You know, again, I'm not saying I agree or disagree. I'm just saying if it was to go in a different direction, that makes more sense than Rage Against the Machine. I don't, I don't know. I don't like that one bit. So, yeah, uh, I, yeah I would say so. On their debut album, uh, they have a song on there called Know Your Enemy. And uh, when I was listening to it, I said to myself, it sounds like Tool. Guess what? Maynard's on that damn Yeah, song. he is. Let's... I didn't know until... I didn't even know until I literally just read it. I saved it because I was gonna be like, "This sounds like a Tool song." Yeah, let's uh, let's play. We haven't played a lot of a lot of songs. No, so we have not played any songs. I know. That's what I was trying to find. Do you have a, a cl- the point where he comes in? No, I do not. Could you look real quick if you wouldn't mind? How would I? L- Hold on. I'll just look up the lyrics. Usually, Genius will tell you. But I won't tell you the timestamp. Yeah, but if I can at least know where it's at approximately. I was afraid you were going to bring up Green Day. He did it in the bridge of the song after the second verse. So it looks like towards the, towards close, the end. Close, yeah, close to the end. Yes. Okay. Yep, there it is. Got no patience. I don't think I remembered that until this week. Like that he was on there. Yeah, like I think I knew that at one point, but I don't think I ever like. I don't think I kept it in my brain until this week. I was like, oh yeah, because I think that's like really the only time across their discography that they had any features. Yeah. Until they spanned out, you know, yeah. like they they didn't really work outside of their bubble until much later. Except for at the very beginning, which is weird. Did you guys ever listen to the did you guys get a chance to listen to all of Renegades? The the yeah. cover album? Yeah, I listened to the whole thing. Yeah. What did you guys think about the Renegades album? There's some odd covers on that bad boy. 
Yeah, I mean, it's okay. There's some stuff that I like all right on there. It's kind of like a, why did they make this album? Yeah. yeah. Like, that's, like, it's not bad necessarily. It's just really weird. Uh, like you said, like, some of the, I like, so they covered uh, Kick Out the Jams by MC5, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. They covered The Ghost of Tom Joad, which is a Bruce Springsteen song, which yep. is not anything remotely close to what, like a rage song would be no and then they also covered maggie's farm by bob dylan which is probably his weirdest song from that time period uh -huh. of, in the 60s uh it's it's a interesting it's it's probably the most rage related bob dylan song potentially like with the lyrical content of I it i can see that like it it fits the most of uh rage covering a bob song but it's cool that, like, knowing now that Morello toured with Bruce later is that, you know, like, they covered Bruce earlier in their career, and then later Morello toured with Bruce. So. Right. Do, do you remember when he toured with him? Like, it would have been, like, four, maybe 12 or 14. That's what I was thinking, because if you were there. But I don't know how long he did. Like, I, right. I mean, like, he, he was on the tour that I saw. Yeah. But I don't know if it was, like, five years or if it was, like, two years or one year or one tour or what. But. Right. Tyler, there's not a particular group that you uh wanted to mention from the Renegades album or anything? I mean, there's a Devo cover there on it. There it is. Yeah, that's it. That's there one. it is. I, I like the, the cover of Renegades of Funk. I didn't even, like... I think when I was younger, because I, I mean, I don't know if I've mentioned like the the volume that I listened to Rage Against the Machine when I was younger. Uh, there was a point in time where I was making like those burn CDs where you take singles and uh, whatever you make a mix CD, and um, I would make a good collection of them to have things to listen to, like while I was driving and stuff. And I would try and find new music, but then I'd also use like older songs that like, you know, I thought were really cool. I think there maybe had never been one of those uh, mix CDs I made that didn't have a Rage Against the Machine song on it. I found at least like a point to put one of their songs in multiple different places. Uh, but I didn't even realize Renegades of Funk when I was uh, a cover when I was younger. I didn't know it until this week. Yeah. I, I knew that they released that cover album. Uh-huh. But I never put two and two together that that song was on that album and Same. that it wasn't a Rage song. Yeah, when I listened it to Renegades, so I was much like, oh, like a yeah, song. like that is totally like in line with what I would have expected. Very interesting. That was actually the funny thing because you said, I don't know why they released it. It was released after they broke up. So I really don't know what the context of that was. Like of it the was, recording process? Yeah. So like I don't know if they even intended on releasing all of it to begin with. You know, like maybe they just recorded it a bunch of random just like, covers. Yeah, to be put in like soundtracks throughout the years or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, Like they're just kind of building up a little repertoire. And uh the studio was just like, hey, you know how we can make some money on Rage now that they're gone? Renegades. I wouldn't call it a good album. Not as an album, no. I don't think so either. Like, I, I wouldn't look at it and say, like, oh, yeah, this is a great album. It has some cool covers on it, yeah. but, like, uh, you know, what cover album is amazing? I mean, I'm I'm not even sure it was that intentional. Uh-huh. What? The album? You know? Like, it being an album or what? Yeah, I mean, we, I don't really know a lot about it. I can't find a lot about it without you know looking a little bit harder so i mean i don't even know like the real intent of it i mean right it the fact that it was released after their breakup i mean i, I, I don't i mean maybe they just like signed off on it but maybe it wasn't even 
put together by them. Right. I mean, I, it is very against kind of their narrative as a group because, you know, obviously most of their music is about the message. And when you're just covering things, it's not like it's your message. You're just kind of covering things. And no right. offense to them, but I'm going to take a swing and say that Devo were not big on radical revolutionary ideologies. Oh, I disagree. Yeah, dude. What do you? What Devo are you listening to? Not the right Devo. You think that Devo is radical? Like, did their... you see their hats? <laughs> That's the one. You're right. I'm sorry. Could you, you know, imagine Rage in... with the hats on? What's interesting uh, is that like almost half of this album, we have covered the artist stuff in some form. So Devo, we've done. Yep. We've done uh, Bruce and Bob. Bruce, Bob, the Stooges, and the Stones. Yep. That's one, two, three, four. That's five of the 12 tracks. So wow. it's almost half. Like what said. do we need to cover to finish out the Minor the Threat, which I'm sure we probably, like, we could probably do it. I think they're probably record roundtable. Yeah, we could do Minor Cypress Threat. Cypress Hill point. would be a, a good band, bad band. EPMD, I don't think we'd ever do that. They're a hip-hop group, but I don't think they're. MC5 really... would probably be a good band, bad band. I mean, they're. I think they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Africa Bombada. That'd be a good band. I don't even yeah. know. We'd find that. Something called Volume Ten is on there, and then Eric B and Rakim, which they're pretty uh, influential hip hop duos for well, sure. But... Rakim was, uh, I believe, a part of Wu Tang Clan, wasn't he? I don't think so. Was he not? I thought he was. I could I totally know. be off base. I can't remember. I think it's interesting that you directed me towards uh, Diva, but and not Minor Threat. I mean, you know, it's not that I'm saying that you wouldn't enjoy Minor Threat. I'm just saying that the one that's a little bit more directly towards you yeah. would be well, you, that thing. You said Devo. He asked yeah, me about somebody on lead. the I album. I knew where he was trying to lead me. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, I knew where he was leading me. It wasn't <laughs> too, it wasn't too uh, unexpected. Also, he was not in Wu-Tang. I was wrong I know, on I this looked, I just occasion. looked at him, I didn't want to say anything. No, it's fine. I can admit when I'm wrong. It's fine. Well, there's, so many members of, there's so many members of Wu-Tang Clan, you could just assume most people were in Wu-Tang Clan at some point. That's so true. Especially around that era of like hip-hop, obviously. But anyways... Anyways, back to the jams, back to the jams. Oh, speaking of jams, uh, I'll go ahead. I'll say this is this is a song that I'd like to highlight myself because this is my my favorite deep cut of a rage song. That's not one of the big singles. Uh, and I think it's uh, an odd song in their discography that's worth kind of mentioning because it really is like the only song I think that I ever found that doesn't touch on politics. Uh, and that's Born of a Broken Man, which I, mm -hmm. I love that song, but it's a little bit more opening the curtain into Zach's life as compared to just like, you know, spitting venom at, you know, political issues and social issues. So I'd like to listen to a little bit of Born of a Broken Man. They try to escape across the street where Jesus stripped bare and raped the spirit he was supposed to nurture. So that song, The Born of a Broken Man, uh, is in reference to his dad. Because that was the broken man. And he was born of said broken man. 
Yeah. So it's uh it's just kind of surprising to see how little how little they didn't keep to the message. But I do think that Born of a Broke Man in general is a very good song. Uh, it's certainly one of my favorites from them. But again, it's like it's so odd to see them even take that step at all at any point when they were so hyper focused on having that be part of their music. I'm it's I wonder what the creative process was to say, let's have one song ever that doesn't talk about politics as much. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's there there's still got to be a there's still a political aspect to it in a regard. I mean, sure. It it touches a little bit on religion and I don't know. It's kind of hard to I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's obviously the political ties because his dad was also in some capacity like um political politically related, I guess. I don't know. He wasn't like a politician, right. but anyways, it doesn't matter. Um so I'll move on to uh the other topic that I think would be uh fun to chit chat about while we get a little bit closer to the end of the episode. I think there's maybe like that and maybe some silly bits, because I know there's some silly bits out there. Uh-huh. Um, let's talk about the influence of Rage Against the Machine, because I think that it's pretty apparent, but also sometimes you don't think as much about it. But the big one, obviously, is the new metal thing. Uh, I, 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 It's so sad. <laughs> it's really so sad, the idea that what they did, like the initial thing that blew up in the mainstream was just people taking like kind of like maybe the saddest bits of what they were doing musically, taking all of the message away. Yes. And then everyone was like, Ooh, Lint Biscuit. <laughs> like <sighs> that's how that shaped out. Who would have yeah. thought? Mud vein. Mud vein, man. Uh, and I like like I I think that sometimes there were some groups that maybe like corn I feel like maybe had a little bit more of um yes some thought process P-O-D. into it. The, oh man, that's true. They had a whole song about Youth shooting. of the Nation. That was 20 years ago. Guess what? Did not change. P.O.D. did not change the world. <laughs> Good try, P.O.D. We wish you could have done more for us, but uh just didn't work out that way. What uh, what other influences can you see? So I'll, I'll, I'll point out, I, I maybe uh, brought it up for a, a particular reason. Oh. There was um, a comment on our Patreon account. Be sure to check out our Patreon account if you enjoy our music, hooray. Um, so Jamie, our patron, said, My brother is the drummer of a band called the Night School Ninjas. If you like Rage Against the Machine, you might as well check those out. Uh-huh. They are not a Rage Against the Machine tribute band, but they are Rage of the Machine influenced. Mm. I did check them out. You could see it. Like it was kind of like that, um, like, you know, rock mixed with punk mixed with rap, you know, like that, that kind of uh, take, I think was pretty evident there. And I do think that uh, one thing that they had a particular influence on was a little bit more of like the the modern hardcore punk kind of sound that like uh what was the um the group that we talked about earlier this week jared i know there was one that um hold on pause i'll just find it since someone else mentioned it was just a fever 333 oh yeah like the groups like that that are um kind of in that same style, but obviously nowhere near as mainstream or popular. Another one that comes to mind for me is Stray from the Path, because they do a similar thing where they're very 
um, politically minded about their hardcore punk style. And they definitely have um, like sonic qualities that feel kind of at home with a Rage Against the Machine fan. Anything else that we can think about that they clearly or maybe not so clearly influenced? Denzel Curry, a uh, hip-hop man. He covered the song Killing in the Name of uh, for Triple J. We love uh, him. I believe it's Triple J, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but yeah, that was a good cover, and it, it was uh, surprising. But it's interesting how... F- and it's not really surprising, actually, because of the hip-hop influence that Rage in- Against the Machine had, that they would influence like up-and-coming hip-hop people. You know, like... Zach Della Rocha is like, I'd call him, I'd say he's an MC first and, a, and then a singer almost. You know I would mean? agree. So like, I would almost not even call him a singer. You no, know, he doesn't like really he's, sing. Yeah. No, I don't know what his singing voice really sounds like. He's either speaking or he's yelling. It's really the two, the two lanes he kind of sticks to for the most part. He's the vocalist regardless though. I mean, yeah, no, I know. It's it's more like he his influence is in an MC realm to some degree. Is what I'm assuming True. you're arguing, Jared. Is that correct? Like, it makes sense that maybe like someone in hip hop would be influenced by him since he is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, yes. You know, uh, no, uh, yeah, in no, a lot of ways, they MC. I think that's sensible. I don't. I find it kind of difficult to think about like people that were influenced by. I feel like. What you're saying is sensible in a way that, like, if you're influenced by rage, you don't have to be influenced by all of it. Or, like, maybe there's a part of it that stands out more to you, whether it be De La Rocha's part or Tom Morello's part. Because when I, like, for me, when I think about rap rock, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And I don't want to admit <laughs> I that I listen to any it. of it. Yeah. But I, but rage, like, nev- doesn't fit into that for me, you know? Hmm. Probably because Tom Morello is. It's so soured. Now. Yeah, I think that it tends to go hokey. It just it ends up sounding real kind of corny and silly when somebody tries to do it. And it's really hard to I, I think that the thing that makes it so rage got it to work is the influence of like hardcore punk. Yeah, because yeah. I think that the heaviness of it makes it so it's not just like a an odd mixture of rock and rap that just sounds kind of odd and not really flowing together right. well yeah it all just makes a lot of it just makes more sense and maybe it's because it was like maybe it's because it was just so early right you know as well and it's just not like it's not like um sanitized to an extent i guess i think that's a fair way to put it it just sounds like it makes sense yeah and it's that's it's way harder way harder and more interesting musically. You know, because like the thing about Rage is the focus is really all over the place. It's not like we're only focusing on Zach De La Rocha or we're only focus- focusing on Tom Morello. Like, you know, they play off of each other for different parts or like whatever. And you can find, I mean, Tom Morello plays lots of really interesting things that are during the verse. Mm-hmm in a lot of parts or just like it's really more like sound based there it's not as much like really him like reaching out and trying to like really find something but he just is like figuring out how to make sound and it's just an overlayer and then it ends up switching to focus on him later on in solo portions and even in choruses you know so different members and different 
portions of like what make up their sound shine at different parts. I think that kind of helps too, because a lot of stuff that came from this in the 2000s is just like bland. And it's not really, I don't think it's like mixed or I don't think there's really a good understanding of like the, the dynamic between the musical element and the vocal element. Sure. And I think that Rage did a really good job of understanding that and playing on it. Because, I mean, yeah, like the, the sanitized nature of it is that typically those who are doing like rack, uh, rack, rap rock, uh, we're not necessarily doing it in a way where the music and the the um, the style, the, the way that it's presented all comes together. It just seems more like a gimmick than it does uh, a cohesive idea. Right. So... Like, I think that that's why I really enjoy Denzel Curry's cover is because as a MC for Denzel, he comes in with the energy level that one would expect when doing a Rage song and performs it in that kind of way. Whereas other artists that are doing a rack, I keep saying it because it's rock and rap. They'll start with R's. Rack, rock. Rack, rap, rock kind of music they're not necessarily putting in the necessary energy or um, like I guess power behind what is necessary to make that kind of come together in a logical way. Right. I do think though, because of the fact that they are kind of uh, oddly ranging, like they've got a lot of different elements coming into the music. I think that they, of course, have influenced a lot of people without it necessarily being super obvious because a group doesn't have to sound exactly like Rage Against the Machine to be influenced by Rage Against the Machine. Maybe they were influenced right. by the political ideology. Maybe it was the guitar tones. Maybe yes. it was the way he performs. Like, There's so right. many other things that you could be influenced by where I wouldn't necessarily be like, huh, I bet they listen to Rage Against the Machine. Could right. The well, that, that was my point earlier is that there's just the so many man. different things to pick up on. Right. Yeah, there's so many places you can draw influence, and like, it doesn't always have to be c- the collective. And like, I'm gonna do a rap rock thing. No, it could be just like, uh, it can. I mean, even like Dale Richard doesn't. It's not even that much rapping. It's kind of like a. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like a free flow situation. Right. I so, mean, he like angry poetry. Angry poetry. Yeah. Angry poetry. And it fits in other realms too, sounding as though he's being an MC while still not really being an MC. Uh, the particular thing that comes to mind for me is his work with Run the Jewels because mm-hmm. he's been featured on mm-hmm. two of the songs. And the way that he performs doesn't feel inherently off base from the way he usually performs, but it still fits along with what it sounds like. So I'll play um, the one that's a little bit more popular. The just, just is the one that is the more recent one that he was featured on. But the one I think is a little bit more popular is Close Your Eyes and Count to Fuck. So I will play his part on that so you can kind of see how uh, his performance still matches the hip-hop style that Run the Jewels does. on the cut, 56 on your switching crew. I'm miles ahead of you. You can sit my bitches through. My battle status is burning matches from Dallas to Malibu. Check my resume. Your residence is residue. skin job. And my honey dip will backflip for you. You playing God, your eyes she gon' rip it too We sick of bleeding out a trace Spraying victim you Dunk dying Fill up AK Dicking you Like it's definitely A little bit more Like hip hop flow style But definitely still sounds Like a performance He would have done Right So I just think there's lots of He has lots of Like range in that world You know And it's 
I mean, it makes so much sense that he would be featured on any Run the Jewels song sure. at all. Sure. And to be on two of them, two of which, one being the most popular and one being really like the biggest one from their previous release. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just makes, it just makes sense. It just all makes a lot of sense. Sure. So uh, to transition into what I know everybody's been waiting for is our favorite portion of the show where we point out that any important band is related to Weird Al Yankovic. Of course. If we're covering them, Weird Al's not related. We shouldn't have ever covered them at all. Shouldn't have done it. It was a waste of time. Are you going to... Oh, I figured that somebody... uh, (laughs) You brought it up. This is your guys' lane. I was introducing it so you could take it. Okay, so... uh, in the song Angry White Boy Polka by Weird Al Yankovic, they, he has an interpolation uh, of uh, Renegades of Funk. He says it, Renegades of Funk, multiple times. Uh-huh. And then earlier today, I just found that in the song I'll Sue Ya, uh, there's a little bit of a little rage uh, influence uh, in there as well. Do you know a stylistic saying? parody, what you yeah. would say. Huh? yeah. yeah. You want to play that bit a little yeah, bit? Yeah, let's get some stylistic parody in there. It's we it. Have it. Three minutes and seven seconds, I believe. For I'll See Ya? Yeah. Oh! I'll sue ya. I'll take all your money. I'll sue ya if you even look at me funny. I'll sue ya. I'll take all your money. I'll sue ya if you even look at me funny. I'll sue ya. I'll take all your money. I'll sue ya if you even look at me funny. I'll sue ya. I'll take all your money. I'll sue ya if you even look at me funny. I'll sue ya. <laughs> How come no conservative politician picked up on that one? I, what? That would have been the one they could have come out to, you sue know? Ya? Yeah, why not, you know? Pretty True. much the same sound. We'll get them riled up. Do you think that those people listen to Weird Al? No. Not enough. No. no, no I agree with they, not enough. They, There's they, no doubt about that. He's squeaky clean enough to be on uh, Fox News or something. <laughs> <laughs> I would. Right next to the My Pillow guy. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Uh, who else? Who else goes on there? The squeaky Ted clean Nugent. folks? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ted Nugent. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. He's so squeaky clean. Tucker Carlson will have him on there real quick. Another uh, person that has covered them is a man named Richard Cheese. He covered Gorilla Radio on his album, Lounge Against the Machine. Love it. Transmission, third world war, third round. A decade of the weapon of sound above ground. Ain't no shelter if you're looking for shade. I lick shots at the as the polls close like a casket on truth devoured A silent play on the shadow of power A spectacle monopolize the camera's eye on There's some real magic to being able to cover a three-minute song and slow it down tremendously and still somehow cut off a whole minute of that song. Mm. How do you do it? How'd you do it, I Richard? He did uh, less of a verse or something. Yes, I would. Uh, yes, <laughs> I would definitely say that. Must the last been. little bit that I have saved to talk about is uh, the song "Wake Up" from their debut album. The only thing I literally talked about this entire time is songs from the debut album. Other than I suppose the last out al- or no, 
The third album uh, is where the Godzilla song came from. So and I'm, third album is where Gorilla Radio came from. Okay, good. I You're saved safe. myself. I saved myself. You're safe. I want you to play the song Wake Up, and I want Tyler to tell me what he thinks about uh, the thing that's about to happen. You think that sounds like Zeppelin? Yeah, it sounds like Cashmere. Yeah, that's relatively. It starts right away, even. Why don't Caleb play Cashmere for the listeners that didn't listen to the Led Zeppelin episode a year ago? That was the beginning. It was like two years ago and some change. Oh my gosh, how long have we been doing this stupid show? We've been doing it for a while, man. We are on year three, and people are still. Is that true? Yeah, this is our third year doing this. We are two two years and four months deep. Well, that's not three years. I'm saying we're in our third year. Oh, I see. We are in yeah. our third year. We're of in recording. our third trimester. Yeah, there you go. All right, Cashmere. Oh, boy. Cashmere. Doesn't help that it was also the intro to the song. Somebody yep. on a website called Quora which is, seems to be some I'm kind familiar. of... Uh, if a, you've been on there, don't get on there too much or they'll just keep emailing you. Oh, no. That's not good. Yep. Well, I don't have the app. Somebody said, how come Led Zeppelin's Cashmere and Rage Against the Machines Wake Up have such similar risks, yet nobody openly addresses this as copying? And the responder <laughs> said, uh, how, bu- how about because they don't? Ooh. <laughs> oh, got him. And how then, and how then about is- not? And then he has this entire one, two, three, four, four and a half paragraphs. And at the end of it, it says, at face value, Rage Against the Machine, machine, at machine sound nothing like Led Zeppelin, nor an impassioned Malcolm X speech, for that matter. And they spelled speech wrong. Nice. Like peach, but with an S. Ooh. But, uh, yeah, he just my, basically did my this favorite giant Florida thing. speech. I mean, it sounds similar. I don't think it's copying necessarily. It's the it's same not, way. I know it's, it's not. the same way that Green Day copied uh, that one song. Yeah, yeah. It definitely sounds similar, but it's not. I know it's not the same. Yeah. Because I learned when I was young, I learned to play Cashmere because I wanted to so bad. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult, and this is not difficult. Oh yeah. In well, the same way. But it, if you play a song, I played this song, and I said to myself, "This sounds like Cashmere." And I saved it to bring up for this conversation. And then you found something about it. If, well, no, not really. What oh, okay. did I find? I mean, one, I mean, an you article found an article. Cora? Yeah. But, I mean, someone else felt the same way. But I'm just like, but it's not like it obviously sounds like it enough for my brain to think it. Sure. And Tyler to say, you think it sounds like cashmere? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't have but to prompt him. It doesn't sound like him. cashmere, but I think I can. I didn't have to prompt him even with the band or the song. He knew exactly no, what I didn't. was talking about. He devoted himself. Yeah, again. it does sound like it, but it's yeah. only, it only, it's it's only sounds a little bit like it only the very, it just sounds similar to it. Cause actually when you, if you were to like play them next to each other and think about it, they wouldn't because cashmere continues the riff and the, and the chord progression of cashmere continues to go up. Mm-hmm. higher and in in this raid song there's only two chords yeah 
So, but okay. it does sound, it has a similar, yeah, like, the sound chord, to begin. The two chords are what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm talking about those two chords, so. So. All right, that's all I got this week, guys. Yeah, I think I wanted, I'm glad I could bring that up. Like, yeah. whether it's right or wrong, I don't really give a, sh- a crap because. Why not? Uh, you, you can say shit on no, the show. No, listen, I don't want anybody to email and say mean things to us anymore. You don't? Uh, those I are don't. our favorite things to get. I can't believe we got a, 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 a medium review on, uh, what was that on? That was on iTunes. iTunes. Somebody just gave us three. Was, no, no, no. And also, somebody uh, put a meh face. Uh, why are you yes. on, This is oh, oh, now you just sound like a. I think a the meh face is the worst. That's the worst one because I don't it even was understand. Weeks ago. <laughs> they went back I can't understand before. if it was intentional or accidental or why. Why? What's the to, point? Why? Anything other than a, fu- a thumbs up, you have to do on purpose because you have to like hold your finger down. You do. Uh, yeah, so but if but a, you can't. There are people who accidentally other, do. It shouldn't be harder to say something like love on a comment than like. Why don't let's mean? let's just say uh, to anybody listening, if you like us, go go rate us on iTunes. Yeah. Give us a glowing yes glowing review yes for everything we've said All today. All of our accurate research we've done today. Absolutely nothing <laughs> nothing but uh, nothing but comments about this Richard guy. Cheese, please. Hopefully you Didn't write you. nothing but positive reviews. Mm. Because we felt positively about Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. We had a fun time. I'm feeling uh, uh, socially charged up. Now it's time to charge down the show and stuff. I don't Too high. We should have talked about how we played that song at church. Oh, yeah. That would have been a fun one. Too late. Oh, man. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. This week, we were covering Rage Against the Machine. Next week, we're going for another revolutionary, militant mind, Madonna. Basically, same views, same style, not a change at all. Thank you for listening. Check out our our website and all that stuff. Thank you. And uh, 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 goodbye. We played this song at church. (laughs) You got it. Now it's killing in the name. Anyways, bye. The microphone explodes, shatter in the mold, eat a drop of